Last time we chatted with Pacific Northwest real estate appraiser Alan Polk. Today, we'll get to speak with another leader in this industry, broker Bob Benyon of Compass Real Estate. With over $800 million in transactions spanning nearly 30 years, Bob and his team handle a variety of Pacific Northwest properties, historic estates, waterfront homes, some of the most significant properties in the area, and he also owns and manages real estate firms in Southern California. Today, we're going to get to explore the evolving economy of the Pacific Northwest, including how our dramatic business cycles have shaped who we are, various social trends from the past three decades, especially those that have fueled the housing and real estate industries. We'll get to tour through Bob's eyes several fascinating and little alone neighborhoods as well as homes. And most importantly, how a deep familiarity with places, and especially places that people call home, can change your perspective. So, um, yeah, I've known you for how many? It's been almost 30 years, at least 20 years um, that I've known you. But I've never actually really known much about you, like your background. So tell me where you grew up. Well, I'm I'm a Washington native. I was born in eastern Washington, but I actually grew up in, in Kent, south of Seattle. Okay. And I've really lived my whole life in this greater Seattle area and graduated from Seattle University and have just made Seattle my home. I don't think there's been a more exciting place to live, both social and economically. You know, we've been just such a growth engine. There's never been a, a reason to move away. Can you tell me what you studied at Seattle U? Yes, my degree was in accounting. Right? Okay. Yeah. Albert School of Business. Amazing. Okay. So I think of you as a people person, but you also are a numbers person. I am. That's why <laughs> I left uh, the accounting field when I was 27 and went into real estate and never looked back because I was starved for people and had a love and a passion for architecture and houses. And they say, follow what you love. And it turned out to be true. So I've worked hard for a long time, but it's never really felt like work because I really love what I do. Can I ask you, where in Eastern Washington were you born? I was born in Moses Lake. Okay. Yep, halfway to Spokane. Okay. That's where you stop to get gas and a burger <laughs> on your way. And then your parents, what were they, what did they do? And what was their, tell uh, us about your yeah, childhood. Right. Uh, so I grew up, my father was a pharmacist and owned uh, drugstores in, in the South End and out towards Issaquah, North Bend area back in the day. So... Uh, they were in the drugstore business. Okay. And then what are your recollections going up of the, like the Kent area? What was it like? Um, well, it was very, it was very rural. It was very farm, dairy, you know, it was all cow pastures. And then we had the boom of Boeing and uh, Boeing just made our area explode. That was the, really the first growth engine for the greater Seattle King County area. I think and it was about aerospace. So that was, that was in the seventies and, you know, they're really, you know, we were a shipping port. We were a timber community and an aerospace community. And those were really the first two big economic engines in our area that started back in the 70s. And as a child, did you spend time in Seattle? Were you mostly kind of oh, yeah. when you're in your teens? And no, I did. My grandparents lived in West Seattle, and we ventured downtown Seattle all the time. And like every weekend, almost, we came into town. My parents liked to come into the city. So Where did they take you? Um, they love to go to the Pipe Place Market, down to the waterfront, Alki, the beach, lots of great memories uh, there in the waterfront community. So, And then you went to Seattle U? Went to Seattle University. Studied economics. Yeah, I got my degree in accounting from uh-huh. the Albert School of Business. Got it. And then uh, worked in the accounting field for about five years. And that was a great training background just for life in general, but it uh, just was not fulfilling in a people sort of way. Okay. And uh, I am a people person, as you say, and quit my job one day and made a change into real estate. And what were you, what, where were you working? 
Uh, then office? I was working for an accounting firm, so what I was, was working it? downtown Got it. and and doing that. And just one day I decided to make a change, jump off the cliff, as they say. Okay. And then why the real estate business? You know, they say always just follow your passion. And since I was a child, I was always looking at home building books, floor plans, houses, reading about architecture. You know, I just, ever since I can remember, you know, reading the classified advertising when they had it back in those days. And... So I thought, I want to try my hand at residential real estate. Okay. I had studied briefly as a minor architecture, actually in college, along with my accounting degree. That's kind of where my passion was. Mm-hmm. So I decided to try real estate. And um, was there like a mentor, anyone that sort of helped you along at the early Yeah, steps? I think that I was very fortunate. And that's why I always try and come from a place of giving and giving back and mentoring and helping people develop their careers. But... Andover at the Dover Group was, uh, you know, really instrumental in in teaching me about the high end. And uh, there were other agents in that firm, Catherine Adams, Carol Meacham, Linda Tallahan, some names we all know, some people that really helped mentor me and learn learn the business and learn the upper end. So okay, and Anne, so she was, I think, a matron. Yeah, Andover. It's probably you know been the longest selling residential real estate agent in our industry. And she just taught me about negotiation, taught me about appreciation for architecture and houses, and, you know, really how to put a sales contract together and negotiate. And what was the, where, where was the office and what was the culture and environment like? It was, a, there? it was a wonderful office. It was down on East Lake, a very architectural, significant kind of mid-century uh, modern building, cantilevered on a hill. So it, it was... Uh, it spoke to the company, and there was about 12 agents, 12 of us. And it was a small boutique atmosphere, but very high production, very high expectations. And uh, it was really a lovely, lovely group of people that were there. And then um, we asked our guests also to share a, a place in the Pacific Northwest that matters to them in mm-hmm. their lives, that they go to for inspiration. Is there any place that comes to mind? You know, I love the outdoors. I love, why I love living in Seattle is our proximity to the mountains and just going up to the pass or Mount Si. I love to hike. I love to ski. Um, I really love the outdoors. That's how I clear my mind. And I love all the seasons we have here. You know, there's just so much to do. And I think that's another reason I've never left. We're just lucky to live where we live. Yeah. 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 So, Bob, you've been inside many, many residences in Seattle and oftentimes multiple times um, helping different people buy and sell and move in. And one of the things I've, uh, as someone else who's also a colleague, is it's always fascinating that you know a lot of these properties just because you've seen them through multiple iterations. Yes. So how does that feel? Um, in some ways, like you have a connection to these places more than the owners in that you've seen different generations unre- of unrelated people. I do. So how does that color your sort of... Well, it's really wonderful in an interesting way. I think it's a way I can give a testimonial to the to the property. Some of these homes I'm now selling four or five times the same house in my career. So I've known the families that have lived there. I've, I've seen the home through multiple remodels or changes. Um, and the exciting thing about our market, just because of the economic engine that we've had, and the growth that we've had economically and the diversity of people moving into our area, all of these homes, every time I see it, it's been upgraded. It's better. And sometimes it's not better structurally. Sometimes it's just better inspirationally or has a better feel just because great people are attracted to Seattle. 
and they leave their footprint on a house kind of on an emotional way and on a physical way. So it's all been good. And the neighborhoods that have surrounded these houses, I've sold multiple times. The great thing about Seattle, the greater Seattle Bellevue areas, is we have a lot of really great in-city neighborhoods. There's multiple favorite neighborhoods and serves all price points, all age groups. And every neighborhood during my career has just gotten better. We have had no downturns, you know, everything's just better. So that's really great to witness all the change because when I started, you know, we really had some neighborhoods that were not that great, but they've grown up and they've matured. And it's really made our city great what it is today. Part of your job is helping people that are selling a property put a price tag on it. Yes. And I just was curious, what are the challenges on a personal level with that process? Um, you know, do people tend to, because they have emotional investment in a place, do they mm-hmm. value it differently than people who don't? And how do you? Well, or, they do. Not, every you know? seller, every one of us that owns our own home, you know, our, our house is our palace. So we always see it through those eyes. Um, and I think there's been so much economic growth and change. And I think there's been such rapid appreciation of prices in our market. It's sometimes hard to uh, manage that expectation and taper that with what a seller thinks, what, what the market's driving it to. Um, I think it's a real challenge to price properties these days. And I think as agents, we have to be very careful and very thoughtful and really do our homework and educate the seller and manage the expectations of the market and uh, arrive at the right price for that property. And then what are the emotional factors, the non-objective factors from the seller that that you contend with to help them well, I think, see things more objectively? I think, yeah, I think sellers are always emotional because they're always passionate about their property. A seller always wants the most money they can get. Um, but really, I try and educate them if they try and ask too much or start too high, they're really going to take less in the long run. I love the old adage that says, you know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. So I really try and keep the sellers in the pig zone and stay out of the hog asking price because when they go for the hog price, they will work the price down over time and they'll end up hurting themselves and selling the house for less in the long run. So um, you mentioned the fact that you know, that you've been in the business so long that multiple successions of owners have lived in the same property? Yes. And while at the same time respecting, I would imagine you have a confidential relationship with all your clients because one of the themes of our show is transformation and change. In Mm -hmm. our city, it's really obvious. Um, But what goes on inside people's homes, it's less obvious and it's probably more kind of a personal journey. But is there anything that comes to mind, any property that you've seen where it's really been transformed in really different ways for different users and still been wonderful. Boy, there's multiple properties I can think of. I mean, everybody, I've been fortunate to sell homes to a lot of successful people, creative people, uh, people from the music industry, people from the tech world, people from the finance world. We have so many great people in Seattle that really everyone wants to put their personal mark on the house, but they've really done in a great way. I mean, I really can't think of any house that I've had a client destroy. They just, everyone's made every house better. Of course, sometimes car- homes are destroyed in the sense that they the land has so much economic value that it gets torn down in a new... That's the hard part. Yeah. That is the hard part. Where does that happen? What are the economic or location factors that cause that to happen more predictably? Well, I think one of the hard parts of our market is um, 
you know, we've had so much economic success and we have so many people come and so much wealth has been generated. Uh, it's made affording housable difficult, but we've seen areas like Green Lake, Finney Ridge, the Central District, Montlake. Um, we're seeing people want to live in those in-city neighborhoods for schools and so they don't have to commute to work. Um, but they are buying houses and tearing them down because if they want to buy upgrade their house to a two or two and a half million dollar house, they can't really upgrade the house. They can upgrade the location, but they've really got to tear that house down and build a new one to stay in their price range. Mm -hmm. So we see price levels in these neighborhoods. What used to be a five hundred thousand dollar neighborhood is now a million dollar neighborhood. What used to be a million is now a two million dollar neighborhood. So I think we've seen great socioeconomic change in those neighborhoods and the infill and just raise the bar and raise the price point. So affordable housing is, is really rough in our city. So and just for our listeners, Bob Benyon, is, you work across all price points, but over the years, because of your expertise, you've focused on the very, very upper end, the, the most expensive homes, and you've mm -hmm. handled a lot of those sales. So yes. as a consequence of that, you've met a lot of the masters of industry, a lot of the people that are leaders in the business, artistic, mm -hmm. cultural communities. Um, and I would imagine that rubs off on you, that you have an opportunity to be elevated by the expertise of the, even though while you're providing counsel and expertise to your clients, that there's probably an enormous benefit to you with this caliber of customer in terms of their own creativity. And I'm just wondering how that evolves for you yeah, with client relationships and how you help them and how they what they give back to you. Well, it's really wonderful. I've really been very fortunate to work with some of the biggest names in town, some of the titans of industry. And they're all just like you and I. They're just people. And they just want a home. You know, they're really like us on one level. But it is fascinating to witness and work with those people and the genius that has created some of the names and the companies that have come out of our market here. And it's, that's the extra reward for me. And that they become great friends with these people. And I can call on a lot of people for issues or problems and just people that inspire me to do better. Mm -hmm. And I find every single one of those people that have done well want to give back to the community. They're concerned about the community. So we can work in partnerships and in ways, you know, to enhance our community and, you know, just fundraising for housing, for arts, for brain cancer, for stolen youth group. I mean, there's just many charitable groups that my clients support that they brought me in to support them and I brought them into mine. And What, what are yours, if you don't mind sharing? Um, I really like uh, Stolen Youth and I really like working with Red Hutch. So what is Stolen brain... Youth? I haven't heard that. Well, Stolen Youth is uh, they, uh, it's child trafficking. So they raise money to go rescue or people stuck in, you know, child trafficking or, or uh, prostitution. It's helping them get out of that life. Mm-hmm and uh, giving them education, school, college education, following them through to a workplace job after we've educated them. It's a Seattle-based organization? It's a Seattle-based, yeah. Okay. If you don't know about it, you should look at it. It's a big organization. Okay. They raise a lot of money. Okay. And it's really wonderful. for It helps children. It helps even older adults, people that have just been misfortunate in life and gotten trapped. In a, in a bad situation. Awesome. We'll add a link to the website for this on our podcast so yeah. people want, they want to learn more about the organization. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And the Rainers uh, Scholars Group, Scholarship Group, which is great. Um, they provide education and scholarships for uh, underprivileged you know, children, and they start with children in elementary, junior high school. And I love that organization because they will follow these kids all the way through grade school, 
junior high, high school, and college. They will mentor, pay for their education, pay for tutoring, and help them get their degrees and into jobs. I mean, that's one of the inner city scholarship funds that I really love. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing to to pick an individual and, and follow them through their childhood, their adolescence, and then into their college years, and then the workplace. Uh-huh. I mean, they follow these people and support and fund them along the entire way. Uh-huh. You know, it's... It's 10 to 15 years they're with these people. So that's one of my favorite things that I support and I like as well. Awesome. Well, you mentioned that you work with a lot of the titans of industry. I think what's amazing about Seattle to me is that we have these titanic industries, Amazon, Starbucks, Costco, Nordstrom. It goes on and on. Yes. Real networks. And so one sort of mystery is what is it about this location? Um, Not that we don't have successful businesses and enterprises around the country and globally, but Mm -hmm. I, I believe there's a much greater concentration in the Pacific Northwest of just brilliant businesses that are there is they're yeah. transforming the planet i mean amazon and starbucks are in two different realms have done that and so what is it though about our region the pacific northwest that i mean you grew up in kent and you decided mm-hmm. to stick around you saw opportunity you sensed it was you know it's a beautiful place to live but what is it about the pacific mm-hmm. northwest that seems to consistently produce well I, I think there's several things i do think it starts with the beauty of our region i mean i think it ta- it does start with the natural beauty you know just the habitat we have to live in and then I do think, you know, Microsoft's success, they were the first ones to really plant their flag and then just create this enormous workforce and this talent for laying the footwork for the tech industry. And a lot of the companies or brands you've mentioned, they catapult and they're based on technology. Mm-hmm. So I think the workforce, along with what we used to be more affordable to live here, but the quality of life here. And I think the Pacific Northwest in general is just a great place full of really solid, smart, down-to-earth people. I mean, I think there's just a really good resource of people here and a lot of natives here. Of course, now we've got a lot of transplants and a lot of people coming in, which we welcome and love. And I love the diversity it's brought to our, our city. But I think we just had this great solid foundation that started in the late 80s, early 90s when Microsoft hit its pace. Fascinating. Just my interpretation. Okay. It's interesting. It's a little bit of luck or happenstance to some degree, too, that the fact that Bill Gates went to college, dropped out of college, decided to move back near his family. Yeah. And um, kudos to his family for, like, raising a child that wants to be back near them. Yep. And then that was the infrastructure for technology, right? And it's infrastructure-based. And then out of that have evolved. And now we have the like cloud computing, and it's like a whole new infrastructure. We had a guest last week just talking, you know, we've got tens of decades of years of new infrastructure that's rolling out through cloud yeah. here, and it's all based in the, much of it is, you know. And I also a, think the diversity of our area. I mean, we've got to think about how many industries we're in. I mean, we're banking, we're a trade port, you know, we're tourism, we're aerospace, we're timber, we're tech, we're biotech, where we just have everything is here. Mm-hmm. Not to mention major retailers like Starbucks, Nordstrom's. I mean, the names just go on and on that are headquartered and founded here. Yeah, do you ever think of like what a bubble we're in? We were just, um, they announced, Seattle Art Museum announced like this camp for my six-year-old, you know, a summer camp. We're trying to get him scheduled. And, it, um, you know, we learned that it was all booked out, that all the classes were t- already taken. And um, one of our friends who's also a parent of a six-year-old, said, God, I, what a bubble we live in, that that's yeah. sort of a tragic thing that we missed out on this thing, but what an amazing place. There's so Lovely. much to do here. Yeah. I think and I think it accommodates, it's great for families, it's great if you're single. I mean, there's just so much to do here. So we're really, really fortunate, you know, to be where we are at the time frame that we've been here. 
So you're like one of the most optimistic people I've ever met, just in terms of your affect, which I love. It's one of the things I'm I love about you. I'm glass half full. I'm happy. <laughs> I wake up happy every morning, and I'm positive, and I, I, do, I do believe that. So. But Frederick Nietzsche famously said that it's the places with foul weather. It's, you know, a lot of the technologies get invented, not in equatorial areas where, you know, the South Pacific being a beautiful place where nature provides everything, but but in miserable, you know, in, in Northern Europe, in miserable places where the weather is harsh. And, well, you know, so I, do you think that the, the rain, you know, it's been three or four weeks of nonstop belting rain. So, A, do you think there's anything to that theory that the rainy weather has something to do with our creativity? And B, how do you deal with, with Well, that? I do think it's, we have a definitely wet climate. And uh, I do think people in the Pacific Northwest tend to hunker down at their desk or their laptop and work inside. And maybe the weather, you know, happenstance kind of, you know, created and forced that culture and people working harder, thinking harder because they don't want to go out and get wet in the rain and the cold. So mm -hmm. I would concur with him. There's probably some truth in that. Okay. But that is not everything's perfect and we are just a little more wet than we would like. But right. In these days with um, increasing drought in California, it's actually a positive thing too. It's a positive. A, in terms of economics yep. and just the overall future of the region. Climate, climate change or whatever, I'd rather be a little wet and a little cold than, you know, be a house on fire. So yep. we're very fortunate. We feel horrible for those people that have to, you know, live through that every year now. It's just the fire season. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't have to worry about that here. So you, earlier you mentioned the Seattle and the East Side. You threw them together. But a lot of the, mm -hmm. lot of those, like myself, that grew up here, really think of they're just two very different regions in a way and two different cultures, two different vibes. Do you concur or do you disagree? And, and how is that changing? Because obviously both areas have been just through so much transformation in the last decade. I do think. I think that we've had, one, the natural division of just the lake, you know, the pond in the middle between. So you get that natural division. And then, of course, the city's older and people either want an older, more urban, high-density environment to live or they want a more spacious, different experience. And I think... I think the people are the same on both sides of the pond. Mm -hmm. I think they're, everyone's just as brilliant and lovely and fortunate, but it just becomes a lifestyle choice how you want to live. Do you mm -hmm. want to live in the urban grit of the city? Um, we used to be, you know, Seattle was a big city without big city problems, but, you know, all the growth has. We are now a big city with big city problems. Yep. And you can escape some of that on the east side. I've moved to the east side myself. And I think that they are two different environments, but the same people living in both worlds. I think they mesh well together. Got it. So in your viewpoint, um, we'll kind of shift to a central topic of our podcast, which is the process of change that's happening. Um, can you walk us through, you've lived and worked through a few major economic shifts. Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you just, in a sentence, you just walk us through kind of what you've seen in terms of the evolving economy and the disruptions? Yeah, well, it's it's actually mind-boggling. The growth, um, the number of people that have, just the sheer numbers of people, and the infill uh, on both sides of the, of the lake, um, just the number of houses that have been built and housing projects and the growth. I think it's all been good. I think it's all been pretty well-planned and pretty successful. The cost of living in our city has really skyrocketed. I think it's it's difficult for people for affordable housing I think traffic, you know, we, as we all know, is an issue. But I think all in all, we've done pretty darn well. Would you say that there's a new class of maybe not millionaires, but even billionaires that are kind of looking at this as as home? Um, has there been a shift in that sort of uber 
affluence? We do. I think that there are. I think that the number of you know billionaires I've sold homes to just in the last year has been a staggering number compared to several years ago. Um, but they like they like living here. They they like the environment. They it's one of the tax friendly states to live in. If you're going to sell a company or a high net worth individual, are these people coming from around the world or from around the country? Or both? Um, they're coming from around the country. I haven't had really any international transplant of that stature, but they are people from New York, California, Texas. I would say is where some billionaires have transplanted to our market here to establish residency. And they like it here. Mm -hmm. I mean, they like what Seattle has to offer. Right. And then I'm just um, also kind of curious, what do you think hasn't changed about, you know, in the, say, 30-odd years nearly that you've worked here? What mm -hmm. have been the consistent areas of that sort of define who we are and that you feel are a thread through all of, the, all of these shifts? I think we've always really had high-quality people, both natives and people that have moved here. I think consistently, if I had to say anything in the last 30 years, it's, it's interesting people people that uh, want to make a difference in the world, people that want to build a company, people concerned about their environment and concerned about others. I mean, I think why I stay is, one, I love the geography and the weather, but just the caliber of people that are here. I think for the most part, it's, it's just a really nice group of people, a smart group of people, and people looking to make a difference. In society, I, in the world. I agree. It's a very comfortable place from that it standpoint is. where we have a sense of sort of reciprocity in the region. And yeah. what I love too is the diversity that we have people here from all around the world is really, I think that's one of the biggest change, but I think it's been a big positive. And um, I just love the diversity that we have now and, that, and the acceptance of everybody. It's, I think it's a fairly, without bringing politics into it, we're a fairly liberal town on both sides of the pond. I, we have high tolerance. I think people are respectful of everyone, and it just meshes nicely. And is that just something within our just our character, or is there something about the region? What is it that fosters that level of? Is it our Scandinavian heritage, or what is? What, I don't know what because it is. it is distinct from other parts of the country. It is. You go, you travel, or even in, in the California market where I own businesses. You know, there's definitely you know divisions and neighborhoods and areas, and you know. There's sections where certain people live or certain socio or economic people live. But I think that, you know, the deck is really shuffled here in the Pacific Northwest. And I think that just, again, speaks to the caliber of the people that started here as natives and the people that have chosen to move here. I think it's just been a really fortunate happenstance mix of people combined with the economic engines and opportunity here has just made for a phenomenal area. So if someone is newly arrived at the Pacific Northwest and you feel they need kind of a quintessential experience, kind of what it is to be here, mm -hmm. you know, immersively or experientially, what would that, what would you, where would you point them to? Or? Well, it's interesting. I, you know, I work with a lot of people really locating to the area. So I try and the first thing I say to them is you're going to love living here, one, because they will and they do. Um, I'd say plan two trips a year to get out during the weather in the winter. Plan two sunny trips, then everything else is going to be fine. But I try and get a feel, not so much for the type of house they want to live in, but what's the experience of the neighborhood they want to live in. We have so many great neighborhoods, and they're all just a little different. So I really try and talk to them about what they want their living experience to be like on a daily 
basis. What is it they're looking for? Walk to the coffee shop and the ice cream and the restaurants, or do they want privacy and be more rural? Um, do they want to be near water, or do they want a view? You know, you can live by water here. You can have a view property. You can live not too far outside of the city and live on acreage and have privacy. So I think it's the diversity of our neighborhoods I tell and sell them right away. We'll, we'll find something for you. I really believe anyone that comes here can find their home and find their neighborhood, find their tribe. I tell them, let's find your tribe, your neighborhood, you know, the people where you'll fit in and feel good about. And it's possible here, I think, for anyone to live comfortably. It's physically diverse, just the different neighborhoods and geography. Um, What trends do you see, you know, in the last 10 years in terms of housing and what people Mm -hmm. want and what people don't want? Um, Any... Less is more. People, even even my high net worth clients, they you know they really people really want less is more, and that can mean I've got somebody coming from California from twenty four thousand square feet and they want fourteen thousand square feet, or it can be somebody in ten that wants to go to five. So less is more, but it doesn't mean somebody doesn't still want big. It's just less bigger than they had. So I, I hope that makes sense. It but, makes sense. And why is that? Why do you think, what, what is driving that um, sort of within our culture that's causing people to shift? They want the, they don't want the weight of something larger that they had on their shoulders, just the mind space it takes to keep it up or maintain it. Uh, I think people want more family-oriented, intimate living spaces. They want the family to live in smaller, tighter uh, quarters so that they're, they build better bonds. I think my clients are very aware of that. And uh, a lot of people want less people coming on their property to work on it. They want <laughs> privacy. They just don't want service people working, repairing, fixing, cleaning, landscaping. People value privacy and and free time. I will say that going through some of the more affluent neighborhoods in Seattle, you you just hear these leaf blowers. Just going right. I know, like... yeah. It's hard. And it, yeah. <laughs> So I've had clients. I don't want to live next to that person. Their leaf blower is going right now, you know. Yeah. But yeah. And then what about technology? Like, how is tech? You know, you said that you see that people want to have more intimate, closer family connections. Is technology in terms of housing? Is it breaking us apart? Is it making us more together? What is technology doing to us within our home? I think just the last couple of years, my clients and my own family people are more cognizant. This kind of pulled us apart, made us islands onto ourselves within our own four walls. And I do see people really wanting less technologically advanced homes. They want more intimate gathering spaces. I see them limiting, you know, TV, phone, gaming time with their kids. I really see a trend of my clients really trying to get the family unit back together and quality time together. And dinner time, everybody puts their phone in a basket and they're limited to one hour of TV, you know, a day or even got some one client just limited to one hour a week and... Um, they're really recognizing that and trying to impress upon quality time together, activities together, where it's games or outdoor sports or hiking or skiing. Or I really have seen a big change in the last two or three years that people are aware of that. Got it. Okay. And then I know our time is limited. You have to go out and show a house in the yes, Highlands. Yes, I do. So, yes. so we're going to not take too much of your time, but it'd be nice to share with our listeners what the Highlands is number one, and then maybe two other three communities that may be people that are new to the area or places that maybe not that well known that are really in, have interesting histories or are part of... Um... Well, the Highlands really is a really special place. It's, uh, it's about 120 lots or homeowners 
in a gated community just north of the Seattle. Um, but all the lots are one to seven acres. So when you enter the, hi- the highlands, and I, I think it's a misnomer to say it's a gated community. There is a gate you drive through, but the gate's never closed. You know, um, so it's people are welcome there. It's a welcoming, warm environment. But people that want a natural wooded setting, I say it's like getting a main house and a vacation house all in one because it's that rural, heavy treed, just that kind of wonderful private setting. And it's really just, you know, 20 minutes north of the city, the core. And neighborhoods like this really exist on the East Coast. We only have a few on the West Coast. So it's a really rare opportunity for somebody seeking that lifestyle. And that was designed, I think, the Olmstead landscaping? Yes, the Olmstead brothers did landscaping for the original Highlands when it was developed. They were original summer homes for people that lived downtown in city. You know, the titans of industry would take their horse and buggy and go up north to their summer home in the Highlands. So that was the original premise. But... You know, they have community tennis courts, swimming pool. They have hiking trails, access to the waterfront. uh, So you can clam at the beach. They have their own hiking park and area. It's just really a wonderful lifestyle. If you've got pets, children, or if you're a couple or single, it's just a really wonderful place to be. And any other um, sort of not well-known but really fascinating neighborhoods to share with our listeners? You know, I think that they're all fascinating. I think we have a lot of really special in-city neighborhoods. I think the secret to our market, you can have view or view in waterfront. We have so many view neighborhoods or you have so many opportunities to live on the water or close to the water. We have an incredible public parks system and a lot of public parks. I love Seward Park. I love the parks that are on, you know, that line our lakes and our waterfront. So I think Seattle's done a great job of planning for everybody to have access to the lakes. Great. So if someone walked in here and they were 20 years old, in their 20s, buying their first home, any advice apart from finding um, your right neighborhood? I, I do. I find the house you love. You know, it's hard when you're younger. You think you can only afford X, but you, you, you don't want to move too frequently. I, 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 t- I would tell them, don't be afraid to find the neighborhood and the house you love. We'll figure out the value and how to afford it later, but just be open-minded to all neighborhoods, all areas. Don't be so focused on the number. Really be focused on on what you love, what's going to nurture your soul and and where you want to live. I find the younger people, the generation very, you know, online, focused on price per square foot, focused on dollars, which is great, but I think they limit themselves or they miss a lot of neighborhoods they could open themselves to an experience otherwise if they weren't so hyper-focused on that. Great. Some unsolicited advice for those of you that are in your 20s or 30s or whatever age considering buying your first home. Good. Well, thank you. I want to thank Bob Banyan. Bob, you've been someone just for me personally as a colleague that you've been just very generous over the years and helped me grow. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and learn from you a little bit more today. Well, you're welcome, Edward. You've been an innovator and just a leader in our real estate community. And I appreciate you and the opportunity just to sit here and visit with you today. It was fun. Join us next time for a conversation with architect Lane Williams. We'll learn about residential architecture and his particular modernist vision. Thank you for listening to EK on the Go. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere where podcasts can be found. And to learn more, you can visit our website and get a link to Bob's favorite charities. Any questions, you can email me, edwardk at ekrag.com. And if there's a place that matters to you in the Pacific Northwest, let me know. We'd love to hear about it. As always, thank you so much. Have a great day.